Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. So the reading is Luke chapter 13, verses 10 to 17, and it's on page 1046 of the Pew Bible. It's Luke chapter 13, beginning at verse 10. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Gordon, thank you very much indeed for reading. Let's uh, keep that Bible passage open. We're looking through uh, this section of Luke's Gospel week by week, and uh, let me pray now that God would speak to us through it. Father, you are great and greatly to be praised, as we've just been singing. Uh, You are great because of who you are and what you've done. And we pray that we would understand more of how great you are today. Indeed, how awful it is not to live the way you tell us to live and not to believe the great gospel that you've given us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I um, keep meeting people who tell me they've rejected Christianity, but when I get talking to them, I discover they haven't rejected the true message of the gospel at all. What they've rejected, I mean, there's many different uh, discussions that I have around this, but often what they've rejected is a kind of stifling legalism that has left them feeling guilty day after day and worn down and burdened by all the rules they have to keep. And let me tell you about two people I've met like this. I reckon it was about 15 years ago now when I I worked in London that I met a young mum who said to me with tears in her eyes, I've tried to keep the commandments, I've really tried, but I just can't do it. Long before her, I met uh, a guy in his late 20s. He was quite angry as we spoke about Christianity. I think his anger was born out of huge frustration. And he told me how he'd been involved in a church, but as he put it, all the rules left me feeling permanently guilty. Now, as I spoke to these people, and as I've spoken to others down through the years, it became apparent that they had never heard, or at least never really understood, the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They've not heard, even if it has been said, they've not heard the good news of free forgiveness through the death of Jesus, which brings us into a wonderful relationship with the Father. So because I keep meeting people like that down through the years... My hunch is that the average person who's rejected Christianity, I know there's other reasons for people rejecting Christianity, I'm thinking in this bracket, 
The average person who's rejected Christianity has not rejected the gospel at all. They've rejected a kind of moralism, a message of of legalistic religious rule-keeping. Now, it's that issue of being burdened by religious rule-keeping that is at the heart of our Bible passage today as Jesus performs a most miraculous uh, uh, miracle. That's not tautologist. In verse 10, we're introduced to a woman who has been bent double for 18 years. My wife's auntie is 93. For the past 10 or 15 years, she's been suffering from the same sort of condition as this woman in the story. Auntie Lenore can't stand up straight. It's not that it's difficult for her to stand up straight. She actually can't do it. And that is extremely debilitating for her. It makes walking difficult. She's not able to sit at a dining room table comfortably. She can't look somebody in the eye in conversation because she's so bent over. Not that she complains about it. It's just very hard for her. So seeing the struggles that Auntie Lenore has gives me a little insight into the struggles this poor woman had suffered. Bent over double, she quite literally shuffled along through life for the last 18 years. Every single day for nearly two decades, everyday routines that you and I don't think about would have been an enormous struggle for this poor woman. So verse 12, when Jesus saw her, he said to her, woman, you're set free from your infirmity. And verse 13, he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Well, no wonder she did praise God. She'd been liberated from a life of bondage. What a remarkable miracle this was. It demonstrates the mighty power of Jesus Christ. With just a word and a touch, Jesus did what no medic, no physio and no no chiropractor could do. Not back then and not even today. Do you see it there, verse 13? Immediately, she straightened up. There was no need to call a chiropractor to manipulate the back. No surgery required to delicately realign the vertebrae. No need for physio. She didn't have to do months of exercise to strengthen the muscles in her back. It was immediate, instantaneous. This was a miracle. But it was more than a miracle of physical healing. It was that. And we should be amazed by the power of Jesus and praise God for it. But at the same time, this is a picture of being set free from the bondage and burden of religious rule keeping. Now that is a very big statement. So so stay with me as we read on and you'll see, I think, why that's the case. Look at the response to this miracle in verse 14. Rather than praise God and share in the joy of this woman, the synagogue ruler who was there and saw it all was indignant. Why? Verse 14. Because Jesus had healed this woman on the Sabbath. And it is the Sabbath that is the big issue here. It's the way Luke introduced the incident at the beginning of verse 10. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And you'll see that the word Sabbath is the repeated word in verse 14, in verse 15, and verse 16. And the issue of the Sabbath here is is the issue of religious rule-keeping. You see, in the Jewish religion, there were all manner of rules and regulations stating what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath. And not just back then in Jesus' day, but it's the same today. If you're interested in looking this up when you get home, Google Sabbath rules and you'll get a taste for it. Let me quote just one of the articles that I read on the web this week. 
The, this is the quote. The Shabbat laws are quite complex, requiring careful study and a qualified teacher. At first, it seems often overwhelming and like an impossible number of restrictions. But spending Shabbat with others who are Shabbat observant will show you that eventually you too will become comfortable with the Shabbat laws as long as you realise that becoming Shabbat observant is a gradual process rather than an overnight transformation. Following is a brief summary of some of the Shabbat laws you're most likely to encounter. Let's start with some basic activities from which we are to refrain on Shabbat. And then here's the list. Writing, erasing, tearing, business transactions, driving or riding in cars or other vehicles, shopping, using the telephone, turning on or off anything which uses electricity, including lights, radios, television, computer, air conditioners, and alarm clocks, cooking, baking, or kindling a fire, gardening and grass mowing, doing laundry. That's quite a list. And that's just the start. They're just the basic rules. Now look, any serious-minded Jew today will be attempting to keep that list of rules and more And the crucial thing to understand here is that you won't find these rules in the Bible. They are man-made rules. Now, it has to be said that they were made by people who are very serious about keeping God's law. These rules have come about as people have read the fourth commandment that we should keep the Sabbath day holy. And these rules are an attempt to work out how to do that. They are an attempt to be faithful and true to God. That's why the synagogue ruler back then was indignant in verse 14. Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, which he wasn't allowed to do. That was considered to be work. And so in the mind of the synagogue ruler, Jesus had just worked on the Sabbath and had broken God's law. So he said, halfway through verse 14, there are six days for work. So come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. He said that as a rebuke to Jesus for working on the Sabbath, and to tell everyone in the, in the synagogue that day what Jesus did was wrong, and to tell the woman who'd been healed, today is not the day for healing. If you want to be healed, come back tomorrow morning. Now, we have more than enough, more than enough information in the story already to know what a ridiculous comment that last comment was. We know that if she'd come back the next morning, she'd have not been healed. Why do we know that? Because she hadn't been healed for the last 18 years. It is a ridiculous comment. And here's the thing, it's devoid of all compassion and all care and all concern for this poor woman who'd been shuffling through life for nearly two decades now. And it is that that exposes these Sabbath rules as being completely out of line with God's law. No love for people. If you've still got your Bible open, come back with me just three chapters to chapter 10 and verse 27. Chapter 10, verse 27 is where we began the series five weeks ago. And chapter 10, verse 27 is a terrific summary of God's law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. See in verse 26, that's what's written in the law. That's a summary of everything. All the commands that come from God are to lead to those two things. They are to lead to us loving God and loving others. 
So if ever I interpret or understand God's law in a way that does not lead me to love God and love others, then I have not understood God's law correctly. So understood correctly, God's Sabbath law will never restrict me from helping and loving other people. So even though I don't doubt that the synagogue ruler was very sincere, and I don't doubt that thousands and thousands of religiously minded people both then and down through the years since have been very sincere, we know they are sincerely wrong. God is a good God. He is a kind God. His commandments are for our good. Love is at the heart of his commandments because love is at the heart of God. And so his commandments will always lead me to love him and to love others around him, around me. Which, of course, is what Jesus did when he healed the woman who'd been bent double for the past 18 years. He loved her. Of course, Jesus really knew the commandments and he really knew what they were all about. Now, keep your finger in in Luke's gospel and come back with me one more time, one more cross-reference, at least one back and then one more forward, to Leviticus chapter 26. It's page 130, right at the beginning of the Bible. uh, Page 130 and Leviticus chapter 26. Now, if you've just dropped off for a little while, now's the time to wake up. This is really important, not complicated, but really important. So stay with me. Luke chapter 26. We're going back here to see what the law of God says because clearly the, um, the synagogue ruler didn't understand it and clearly Jesus did. Look at Luke chapter 26 and verse 13. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery, out of Egypt. Now before I go any further, that is the, those are the exact words that introduced the Ten Commandments. Now see how this verse continues. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. Then listen to this. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk with heads held high. Now in the English Standard Version, that phrase translated to walk with heads held high reads, and to make you walk erect. To make you upright. That's exactly what we saw Jesus doing as he healed the woman who was bent double. The Lord rescues his people out of slavery, releasing us from the bondage and burden that breaks our backs. He rescues us so that we won't be weighed down by countless rules and regulations that are simply too hard to keep. He rescues us so that we can stand up straight with no burdens weighing us down. You see, what Jesus did for that poor woman is a picture of what he wants to do for all of us. Jesus stepped into her life and instantly she was free from the burden and she was upright. Far from Jesus' actions being against the Sabbath law, it was the very point of the law. So it was completely fitting that Jesus performed this miracle on the Sabbath. Hear this wonderful good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ sets us free from slavery. Which is why when I meet people who are overwhelmed with guilt because they can't keep God's commandments, I know that these dear people haven't understood the gospel. We are no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer held captive by the devil, no longer weighed down by legalistic religious rule keeping. 
So the Apostle Paul wrote to the, the churches in Galatia. And by the way, if you want to follow this up and really study it carefully, it is the book of Galatians that you need to read because read, it's dealing with all of this stuff. Paul wrote chapter 5, verse 1 of Galatians, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Don't be burdened by rule keeping. You're free. And Paul wrote that because religious people will keep trying to tie us up with rules and regulations. David Gooding, when he uh, writes on this, says this, Jesus fought against all perversions of God's gospel that holds people in bondage or tries to recapture them after they've been set free. That's often the real problem. People become Christians and then they get all these rules weighing them down. Now, as we turn back to Luke's gospel and that incident with the woman, we're going to stop off at chapter 11, verse 46 for one last cross-reference and then we'll just go back to the passage itself and see how brilliant it is. Chapter 11, verse 46, page 1044. See, having seen how Jesus sets us free, here's the contrast. Here is the burdensome rule-keeping of religious leaders. And here is Jesus speaking to the religious leaders of the day and he pulls no punches. Chapter 11, verse 46, Jesus said, and you experts in the law, woe to you because you load people down with burdens they could hardly carry and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. That seems to be exactly what the synagogue ruler was doing, burdening people with man-made rules, rules that we can't keep, Rules that weigh us down, leaving us spiritually bent double, giving us back-breaking rules and then doing absolutely nothing to help us to keep them. So now turn back with me to our story into Luke chapter 13 as we begin to wind things up. And as we turn back to Luke 13 and have a look at the end of it, in one devastating comment, Jesus shows us how ridiculous and indeed how cruel religious rule-keeping is. Look at verse 15. The Lord answered the uh, synagogue ruler, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? Jesus brilliantly exposes both the folly and the heartlessness of legalistic religious rule-keeping. Rule-keeping, says Jesus, leads us to treat animals better than people. I like animals, but they should never be treated better than people. That can never be right. Here were these people quite willing on the Sabbath to untie, to release their ox or their donkey to give it water. Of course you would. But they were indignant when Jesus set this woman free. When he released her, when he untied her, this woman who'd been bound by Satan for 18 years. And oh my, that last statement is explosive. She'd been bound by Satan. See, in verse 11, Luke tells us that this woman had been crippled by a spirit. Here in verse 16, Jesus says the Satan had kept her bound. And as her condition and her healing is a picture to us of the horror of legalistic rule-keeping, 
So Jesus is saying man-made religious rules are satanic, no less. Man-made religious rules are evil. That's explosive, isn't it? Another huge statement from me, let me explain. Religious rule-keeping says, if I obey the rules, then God will accept me. But Christianity says, and we're going to be rejoicing in this as we take bread and wine in just a moment. Christianity says that because I trust in Jesus Christ, who has done everything for me as he died on the cross, dying in my place, then I am acceptable and accepted by God. I can still remember the first time I understood this and what a huge relief it was. Do you remember when it happened for you? I was 20. I'd become aware that I wasn't the sort of person I should be. I'd never been in trouble with the police. I had a good job. I paid my taxes. In many ways, I was a model citizen. But I began to realise I didn't live the perfect life. Far from it. I was not far away from moving out of uh, the family home for the first time to buy my own flat. And my mum said to me one day, you treat this house like a hotel. Mum ever said that to you? She must have said it to me dozens and dozens of times down through the years. But that day it hit me like a ton of bricks and I thought to myself, she's right. I do take my mum and dad for granted. Worse than that, I treat them badly. I did it with lots of people. I don't treat people well. I'm selfish and I expected the whole world to revolve around Paul Williams. And so knowing that I'd soon be moving out of the family home, I tried to live a better life. And you know what? I couldn't do it. And not just at home, but in all sorts of situations and in all sorts of ways, I became aware that I wasn't the person that even I wanted to be, let alone the person that God wanted me to be. But trying to live a higher standard, trying to keep the rules, whatever those rules were, was impossible. And I felt that burden. And not least of all, when I realised one day that I'd have to stand before Almighty God and give account for my life. I couldn't live up to the rules. And I wouldn't be good enough for God when I met him. So what a relief it was when I discovered that Jesus died to take that burden from me. And that being acceptable to God was not down to my performance, but down to Jesus' death for me. And that is such brilliant news... That is such brilliant news that Satan doesn't want me or anyone else to hear that or know it. Satan wants us to believe that Christianity is about religious rule keeping. My girls, Susanna and Bethan, came home from school a couple of weeks ago really frustrated because in their RE lesson, the class had been taught that Christianity was about living a good life in order to get to heaven. That is the lie that is being taught in schools and desperately in many churches as well and Satan is behind it because he doesn't want me to come to Jesus Christ. He doesn't want me to take the free gift of grace and forgiveness and relationship with God. Satan wants me to try and earn my salvation by keeping rules because doing that is a denial and rejection of Jesus Christ and it means I never turn to Christ and what's more it leaves me bound like a tethered donkey to religious rule keeping. And it leaves me burdened and heavy laden by back-breaking rules. And that's why religious rule-keeping is from Satan. It ruins life and it keeps me from God both now and for eternity. So I keep meeting people who've rejected Christianity. At least that's what they think they've rejected. But when I talk to them, it turns out it's not the gospel of grace they've rejected at all. They don't even know the gospel of free grace and forgiveness. 
What they've rejected is a moralism, a sort of churchianity, a form of religious rule-keeping that doesn't have the gospel of grace at its heart. So most people, when I talk to them in, this, in these categories, haven't rejected true Christianity at all. They've rejected this moralism, this self-righteous religious rule-keeping that they've seen in the average church. They don't like it, and I don't blame them. And they've rejected it because they couldn't keep it up. And they felt weighed down by it. Like this poor woman, it broke their back. And because they can't keep the rules, they can't ever break free, and it's all a great big cycle, and it's all an unbearable burden. See, just like this woman who'd been going to the synagogue for 18 years, week after week, attempting to keep the man-made rules, didn't heal her? Doesn't work. No wonder people have walked away from what they thought was Christianity. Because that is a hopeless message leading to a miserable existence. But here we see the difference. The difference that Jesus makes. He sets us free. He doesn't leave us burdened. Takes the burden from us. By dying on the cross. Because he loves you that much. He sets us free and leaves us full of joy. How did it end? Verse 13. She went and praised God. Well, as I close, what does all this mean for us? Well, first, beware of man-made rules. Beware when people insist that you keep rules that are not from God. Anything. There's an awful lot of religion that is just from God, not from God, just from people. May we be working hard in this church not to put rules on you and indeed to see where we have already got into this because we're as likely to get into this as everyone else listen often rules religious rules are created in a sincere attempt to keep God's commands but they enslave us God's commands by contrast are about loving God and loving others and uh, the end of Luke's gospel And the end of our service tonight tells us how to respond to God's commands. You see, all this is not saying there aren't any things we should do. You just go and do whatever you like. That's not it at all. And as you look at the end of Luke and you see Jesus dying on the cross, and as we come to the end of our service tonight, see that the gospel is to free us. And see that it is free to us, but costly to God. God couldn't just forgive us. Jesus had to die. When I see that, when I see that the law of God is so serious that it cost Jesus his life, then I will not ignore God's commands. So then when I see a command, I have to take it seriously. My failure to live it out cost Jesus his life. That bothers me as a Christian. And so understanding the gospel of costly grace doesn't mean I'll just go and do whatever I like. It means I want to live God's way. But the gospel is not about living up to God's commands. The gospel tells me there's no condemnation for me ever again, even when I mess up. See, when you understand the gospel of costly grace, you can't be morally lax, but at the same time, you won't spend your life beating yourself up over your failures. This gospel is a wonderful gospel and knowing it is a wonderful place to be in. 
Let's pray together. Now let me uh, leave a moment for you to bring your own prayers to God. And especially anyone here who is bound up in legalistic rule keeping. As you reflect on this story, this story tells you that however long you've been bound by rule keeping, you can be freed from it instantaneously by Jesus. And for all of us here, Let's make sure we're not laying rules on others or indeed bound by them. So a moment of silence for us to respond. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that uh, the Lord Jesus sets free those who are bound, bound by rules and regulations. Thank you very much indeed for the death of the Lord Jesus Christ bringing complete forgiveness that nothing else, absolutely nothing else is needed. Thank you that that is liberating and brings us freedom and joy. And we pray you'd help us to feel the burden lifting even now as we pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.